0: Welcome to the Be Seen Be Loved podcast. I'm your host, Christy Love. I believe in taking massive action to overcome life's biggest challenges because I know the rewards that lie on the other side. This show is a weekly dose of inspiration and motivation to help you level up in your life. Here's to a new you where your dedication, commitment, and staying true to yourself will make your wildest dreams come alive. I'm a transformational trainer, speaker, firm mama, and proud wife to a distinguished Navy SEAL. We believe in the motto, never give up, never quit, while doing it all with love. I'll share real talks with experts and thought leaders who offer proven strategies to turn your barriers into success in this unfiltered, transformational, and thought-provoking podcast. Let's do this. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this second episode of the Be Seen, Be Love podcast. I am so excited today because I have a guest on episode today that is my dear, dear friend who I admire so much. Ms. Sarah heart, and I'm going to go over just a little bit of her bio before I uh, let Sarah begin, okay? As Sarah is a teacher, she's a social worker, and she's a lifelong pursuer of healing and the truth. She was raised in Wyoming and Pennsylvania, we'll talk a little bit more about that, where her family was very religious and conservative. She was not able to go to public schools. However, she really overcame that through isolation of years of gardening, working on jobs, cooking, cleaning, and caretaking for her foster family. And she found through all of this a passion for reading in every free moment that she had. Now, she stepped into the classroom at age 19, and after pursuing learning and education, the educating, the underprivileged It became her life's passion. She graduated top of her class and summa cum laude from the University of Houston. And she's gone on to travel and teach around the world. You know, currently she's an avid truth teller, public speaker and writer. And she's willing to talk about the uncomfortable in order to advocate against family violence. Please help Welcome, my friend, my partner in crime, Ms. Sarah Earhart. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Christy. Thank you so much for having
1: me on the Be Seen Beloved podcast. I am so <laughs> excited to be here and
0: share my story with you and your listeners. Thank you, Sarah, for that. I am so happy that you are here. You know, Sarah and I met a while back in Toastmasters. We're a member of the Outspoken Toastmasters uh, Club, right,
1: Sarah? Yes, yes, I remember coming and you were the president there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And now Sarah has been the president for many, many terms. She's told amazing stories that really left me emotional, heartbroken, and also inspired. You know, when I listen to Sarah speak, you know, I feel like I can overcome anything because she's overcome absolutely everything. So Sarah, I want to hear, our listeners want to hear more about your story. Tell us some of those stories that you talked about in Toastmasters, especially, you know, as growing up as a child in Wyoming and Pennsylvania.
1: Thank you, Christy. And I'm humbled by your opinion of my story. When I first started sharing my story, I didn't think it was anything out of the ordinary. It was just my life and my story. But the more I started to speak openly and share with others, the more I realized me speaking the words was giving words to people that perhaps didn't have the words because they were in so much pain. I grew up for two years in Wyoming. It was a tiny little town in the middle of the Teton Mountains. And I don't have very many memories there. My I'm the youngest of five siblings that were adopted or biological. But then my family did oh probably about 16 years worth of foster care and in that time there was more than 20 foster kids that came and went out of our home when i was 2 we picked up very quickly and left the state of wyoming and my dad left the family for 6 months to go back to schooling to become a pastor in a different conservative religious church And then we moved from Wyoming to Pennsylvania, and that's where I grew up for the majority of my childhood. Uh, My parents were very conservative. They did not believe in their children going to public school. I never stepped into a classroom until I was 19 years old. And we were considered homeschooled. However, for me, I can only speak to my story, which I do know is a bit different than my older siblings because there's a lot of years in between us. But my story, my schooling was very minimal. There was a lot going on in the home when I was a child. There was a lot of violence happening. There was a lot of abuse happening. We had a lot of foster kids, usually two at a time. At one point in time, I remember there were three. And it was just a lot of chaos. And I spent most of my childhood working. Yeah, I started working at a very young age. I think I was 11 or 12 when I first started working as a janitor and I was cleaning offices. It was through a family friend and I started cleaning offices at night. They were dentist offices. It was just a very different childhood. I didn't have any friends. We were very isolated. I never went to a birthday party as a child nor was I invited to one. And we were considered the odd People in the neighborhood. Most of the kids did not play with us much. And now as an adult, I can see why they thought we were rather strange little kids. We just had a very unique childhood. My father, now that I'm an adult, I can see that my father, he was suffering from a lot of mental health problems. And as I sought my own truth, as I started my own healing and talked to additional family members, I started to learn more and more about this cycle of mental health that also included a cycle of domestic violence in my family. At the age of 14 years old, though, I had had enough. I gave my dad an ultimatum. I told him that he would never hit or hurt me or my mom or my siblings in my presence again, or I would call the police. And there must have been something in what I said that really scared my dad. He did not ever lay a hand on me or my siblings or my mom when I was present after that. However, that also created a very unpleasant home life because my dad was very angry with me because I had put a boundary that he now had to respect and no one else had laid down that boundary and he was very angry. My greatest escape as a child was reading. I had a grandfather, my mother's dad, and he would always tell me, Sarah, you need to read. You need to read. This is how you can escape. This is how you can learn things. So while my education was a bit lacking and I really wasn't receiving education where everything was in order and it was building upon each other, it just didn't happen because of all the chaos in the house, I read all the time. And at the age, of I think it was 15, I started working at the local library. So then I was able to check out any books I wanted at a regular basis. And the librarian there, she would tell me things that I should be reading. And I started just devouring books. And this is how I learned a lot despite the circumstances going on. So I would tell any young person, if you're not getting a proper education, go to a public library and check out some books because you can learn anything if you know how to read. That's right. Yeah. It's incredible. Yes. And I still adhere to this as an adult. If I need to know something, I just go read a book. And then at the age of 19, I decided that I was going to go to college. I wanted to see something else and see the world and find out for myself what was the truth and what was not. I ended up attending the University of Pittsburgh and then transferring from there to the University of Houston and graduated summa cum laude at the top of my class. I got to sit up on the stage. I was the first in my class. And during my years at the university, it was challenging. I often had to do double the work. So while my peers were just doing the work for the college class, I ended up having to do the work for the college class plus additional work because I had huge gaps in my understanding. I had a number of professors that were really confused as to why I was there if I didn't possess the knowledge to be in college. I had a couple of professors who asked me how I even got into college. And the only reason I got into college was because I apparently was just very good at taking standardized tests. And as I became an adult and went back and looked at some of my records, as a homeschooler in the state of Pennsylvania, you do have to take every so often these standardized tests and I aced them all. So either it was my reading or I just was really good at guessing. I don't know, but I did really well and I was able to get into college.
0: Awesome. Awesome.
1: Yeah. And from there, I decided to do a lot of travel. So I studied abroad twice in college, and then after college, decided to go into education. I joined uh, Teach for America, and I spent a number of years teaching the underprivileged kids. And then I moved abroad and taught English as a second language. And then I came back to Houston and continued to teach. Because I really feel passionately that kids, all kids should be receiving a good education and since I did not as a child I wanted to hand that to other children that
0: were not gotcha absolutely well thank you definitely for your help and service to the community and the world actually Um, I do want to ask a little bit more about the abuse in the home how did that start when was the first time you experienced abuse from your father and this is your biological father correct yeah biological father and mother when did that start
1: Yeah, so I do not have a memory without it. I remember some of my first memories are of a lot of violence occurring. The violence often looked like my dad having a huge temper episode where he would blow up and throw things or throw children and throw everything we owned into the trash And I don't remember a time when this wasn't going on. I remember as a very small child, just this cute, innate feeling of fear. I would go to bed at night and I was afraid I couldn't sleep and I would wake up and I would be afraid, always gauging my dad's mood to know what I needed to do to keep my dad calm or what I needed to try to do to keep my foster siblings safe. I don't remember a time when this wasn't going on.
0: And I know you speak with a lot of women who have gone through a lot of the same traumatic events that you have. What do you tell them, especially those who are in the situation right now, what do you tell them as far as getting help? Because it sounds like you were very isolated in the home and there was no help. There was not like a next door neighbor you could run to or 911 probably at the time. What do you tell them? To break free from the abuse in the home?
1: And, Christy, that is a really good question. And that is honestly a very difficult one to answer. So, as someone who was the victim of domestic violence for two decades, it took me a long time to understand that what was going on was not okay. And, like I spoke to at the beginning, I didn't think there was anything special about my story because I didn't know since I was so isolated, that this was not healthy or normal. For women and children that are going through this, I would say that first they have to, I'm going to to rephrase, I would say to them, you are worth something better. You are worth making a different choice and leaving your abuser. And sometimes it takes a long time for women and children to truly feel within their worth and understand that they don't deserve to be treated like that. And I do think it's important that they see other women or other children that used to be in those circumstances leave and then break that cycle and go on to do something different. It helps to build them up to see that they are worth something better. But first, they do have to be seen, and they have to be heard, and they need to feel safe to tell their story. I know for myself, as an abused child, I did not know many people I could say anything to, and so therefore I held it very deep within me and didn't speak my truth for a very long time. So having a safe space and trying to seek out a safe space to be able to tell the truth about what is happening
0: is really essential. Well, I can only imagine the insecurities that you had deep inside. And I've had my own, but in a totally different light. Um, How do you encourage people to find the confidence to stand up to someone like that, to someone who's abusing them? You know, so many women I see are so insecure that they can even think of being strong, that they have the power to overcome and to stand in the face of the person that harms them. Mm -hmm. How do you help someone to gather up that courage to either break free or stand up and say no more?
1: That is a great question. And that one is also very difficult to answer for me, I found that I didn't have anything to lose. I looked at my life. I looked at what was going on in the home when I was 14 years old, and I asked myself a very simple question. What do I have to lose? If I stand up and I tell him to stop, what could get worse? And the answer to, for me, in my particular situation, was not much. And I did have a lot to gain if my abuser, my dad, would respect that boundary. And so I would say to women and children that are facing this, you have to ask yourself today, is it worth for you to stand up and do something, set a boundary, leave whatever it is that you feel you need to do? And sometimes the answer to that question is no. I can tell you that for many years, even younger than 14, it wasn't worth it to me to do it. I was afraid. I probably wasn't big enough physically. My dad wasn't a super big man. So by the time I was 14, I was getting closer to his size. So it probably did feel a little safer to me. But it does have to be worth it to the person that's being abused that day to finally say enough is enough and make a change. But I would still say to anyone that's being abused, it's worth it. And you are worth it to do this, even if it's scary and it's difficult and it feels dangerous. And it is dangerous if we're gonna be real, but it's worth it because otherwise, what is gonna happen to your life? It's just gonna continue going in this cycle. And if you're a woman and your children are watching this, oftentimes your children will then pick a partner that will continue this cycle
0: because they think that's all they're worth. Right. you are worth it. That is so powerful. That is so strong. Thank you for that. I do want to go over uh, just more on the lighter note of your journey through Toastmasters International and we'll prompt you to join Toastmasters. And for your listeners here Toastmasters International is a public speaking organization. And it's not just a, public speaking organization, but it's pretty much my life. I was in Toastmasters for on and off for about 17 and a half years. And the transformation that I have made just from joining that group, and not only my um, speaking ability, but the confidence, the friendships, the connections that I've gained, and the hundreds of people that I've mentored over the years has really transformed my life. And that is where Sarah and I met in Outspoken Toastmasters in in the Woodlands, Texas. And uh, Sarah, I want to just know what prompted you to join Toastmasters International? Yes, Christy. Joining Toastmasters
1: International is one of the best decisions I ever made. I had the privilege of knowing you and so many other wonderful people. What prompted me to join was I wanted to start speaking about my story. I wanted to start doing something with all the pain that I had lived through and transforming it into some sort of power and healing and help to others. But I didn't really know how to do that. I was a teacher and I could speak to children and that was never an issue for me. But speaking to adults was a whole other ballgame. I didn't like it. I would shake like a leaf. I would stutter and I'd say, ah, and um, and it was, it was awful. And so I decided that if I joined Toastmasters, I could acquire the skills that I needed to start speaking with more confidence and calm about my story. That's why I joined and I'm still a member to this day. Now I'm the president of my club. Yes, you've been the president for how many terms now? This is my first term. Your first term? it just took a lot
0: longer during COVID times. Okay, (laughs) there you go. And Sarah swears up and down that she was nervous and shaking. I never, ever saw her nervous or shaking. It looked like she was an absolute pro when she first joined. And I was like, wow, she is absolutely amazing speaker and just elevated on top of that. Now, you've been in multiple contests. You even made it to the, I want to say the district competition. And I was there watching you cry like a baby as you were winning the area competition. And I thought that was amazing. Tell us about that. What would you like to know about why I joined the competition? Why Why did you join the competition? What made you join that competition? And it was so powerful. And what prompted you to choose that particular speech? Thank you, Chrissy, and thank you for your kind words. What you didn't
1: see was that I wore multiple layers for my first speech, so you didn't see the sweat stains from my nerves. I was shaky and sweating profusely, but I appreciate the kind words. I decided to choose that particular speech because I wanted to talk about the uncomfortable. I had grown up in an environment and in a church environment where no one ever talked about domestic violence. And then I became an adult, and I went to the university, And again, I noticed that most people were very uncomfortable talking about domestic violence. And then I had my own children, and I started to get to know women who had also lived through a lot of domestic violence. And they would say to me, well, no one wants to talk about this, and it makes people uncomfortable, so I just keep my mouth shut. And I decided I'd had enough of that. So I chose that as my topic. And I noticed it was so interesting, even in the competition, when I looked out at the sea of people, there were some very uncomfortable faces during my speech. Because in our society, domestic violence and the cycle of domestic violence and what it does to women and children and its victims, even men, if there are victims of it, it is very uncomfortable. And it is something that we would prefer as a society to ignore. And I feel really passionate that this cycle will end if we talk about it and if we give a voice to the victims so that they can speak about it and try to end their own cycle. I even think that the abusers themselves, most of them have been abused. As I learned my own dad's story, I found out that what had happened to me was a version of what had happened to him and his brothers and because his own mother had terrible mental health problems and they went untreated back in a day where they didn't know what to do about it. And I think that's true of a lot of victims and their abusers. And in order for that whole cycle to end, the people that are suffering and the abusers, they have to have a voice, they have to be heard, They have to speak about what's happening inside of them to hopefully find some solutions and some healing.
0: Right. Well, I was one of those sea of people that was in the audience and and it comes to mind that every person probably that you're talking to knows someone, if not intimately, someone who was abused. My mother was abused as a child and her story is very similar to yours when she chose to never be that way to her children. So she fed us with love, love, even though she had a traumatizing childhood and left her home at a very young age. That was dear and close to my heart. So I thank you for that. I thank you for sharing that story. And I think it just hit everyone's heart. And I just wanted more, (laughs) I wanted more, you know. (laughs) Uh,
1: You had Christy, that your mom, Able to end that cycle. He
0: ended that cycle. Absolutely. Yes. And that's why I speak only of love because that's what I experience. That's what I, I never, ever want any individual to be hurt. And I'm so close to children and I just adore children because I, I don't know what they have to go home to. I don't know, but I know that I can make a difference. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are the same in their life and show them what love is all about.
1: And I think the love that you have for others and then the love you have for yourself is incredibly important. I think of my own abuser, my dad, I think he was abusing partially because he didn't love himself and he hated himself and he had a lot of animosity towards himself for his own life choices. And then out of that, he took it out on his kids and his wife. And so love is so very important that we show it to others, and then we also feel it within ourselves and carry self-love so that we're not lashing out
0: at others in this life. All right. I see you have two amazing, beautiful children who I adore. As a mother who's gone through that, what do you instill? You talked a little bit about it, but what nuggets or the lessons have you instilled in your children to make sure that they can follow the trend of bringing about compassion, and love and genuosity to other people as well.
1: As a mother, and from the moment I had my daughter seven and a half years ago, I have always adhered to the belief that if I want my children to be good people, then they need to see it modeled within me and my husband. So we try really hard to model being kind to others, treating others the way we want to be treated. And then we say those words to them frequently. And we really encourage them to love others the way they want to be loved and to love themselves. Anytime my children say something to me about something they dislike about themselves, I try really hard to validate why they might be seeing that, but then also try to point them to the fact that there's no mistakes. They're made the way they are for a great reason and they're gonna do great things in this life. They have to love themselves and love others in all that they do. And I think just teaching children to treat others the way they want to be treated solve so many of these issues with abuse and domestic violence. I think even abusers, if you go back to when they were young, they don't want to be treated this way. And they don't want to abuse others either. They're doing it out of their own hurt and pain and suffering. And so my hope is, is to raise my children to understand that cycle isn't necessary by treating others the way they want to be treated.
0: Absolutely. Sounds like you have definitely broken the cycle <laughs> I'm and, and, and created a legacy of love. I want to go over a little bit about, you know, what are you doing these days? What lights you up these days? What, what have you been up to? I know you've done a couple of speaking engagements. You're part of some groups. What is going on in Sarah's world? Oh,
1: so much, Christy. So when, after I did my competition speech for Toastmasters International, I decided that I wanted to write a book about my story. And I started, I sat down and I just started hammering it out. And about halfway through hammering it out, I realized that there was a lot of healing that needed to happen within me. So then I went on a journey of how was that healing going to happen, and then what could I do with that healing and peace to help others. And that's what I've been doing for the past year and a half. I went to see a therapist with a very specific goal of trying to achieve some healing and empathy for the abusers in my life. And then what happened to them and what prompted all of that to occur? And then what can I do with that in my life as an adult, as a mother, as a teacher, as a writer? And it's been incredibly freeing. I cannot describe how freeing it is. And anyone that is struggling through these things, I would suggest going and asking a professional for some guidance. It has been so helpful. I have gotten involved with volunteering for a domestic violence organization in Houston. And that's been so illuminating to listen to these women's stories and then helping me continue to write my book now. I also joined another organization that spends a lot of time helping women heal from their childhood traumas and adult traumas if they're in a domestic violence situation. And that too has been very I've grown so much by listening to these women and children and then understanding where my role is in this. I spend a lot of time now going and talking to moms groups, to mops groups, anyone that will let me come and talk, I will come and talk and share my story and try to get women to see that they are worth it and they are worth leaving and it is possible to end this cycle. And my ultimate goal is to finish my book, and then I am considering going back to college because I would really like to get my doctorate degree in clinical psychology. And I'm considering going into treating the abusers because at the end of the day, the abusers are the ones that are continuing this cycle, and they're damaging the most number of people.
0: And I would love for that to end. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It mm-hmm. has to end right now. <laughs> Today. It does. And I wish it I wish it would. Now you talked about you, you got a little help and guidance from a therapist. You know, it's so important that we have a support group. You also have an amazing husband that you that has been with you through this journey. And so many people are probably not as blessed as you to have such amazing man. And their life to help them through all the not a damaged person, but a person who is just internally traumatized right. by so many experiences in their lives and someone who stuck by you, you know, through thick and thin and helped to transform you to the person that you are. But it's so important to have a, like I said, a support group of people that you can talk to who can help you along the way. Because for many people, you can't do this alone. You can't. You can't do this alone. I mean, I've created transformations in my life, but I didn't do it by myself. There was so much guidance along the way by so many wonderful people who helped me and who were just open to listen to me and to guide me. And, you know, each and every step along my path, whether it's health related or the insecurities that left me debilitated and the self limiting beliefs that I endured for so many years and wasn't able to get my message heard or allow anyone to listen because I didn't think I had a voice. But now I can't shut up. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you, Sarah. So tell me about your your husband. How did he help you? Because you met him at an early age. You guys have been together for a very long time, and I've met him. And he just seems like the most lovable, happiest person that you can You can be around, and it's a blessing that you found him. It is. So I met my husband when we were 15 years old
1: at a homeschool square dance that both of our parents forced us to go to for some socialization, and we did not want to be there. But we met each other, and he is my best friend. He was my best friend when I was 15, and he still is, and I'm 36. He is a wonderful, supportive man who has... Heard and seen me and never judged me through this entire journey of healing and acceptance and forgiveness, and then trying to find what I'm going to do with all that has happened. And he's a wonderful father. And to speak to your support system that you were mentioning, Christy, you are absolutely right. For the people that are trying to leave domestic violence and the cycle of domestic violence, it is really important that you isolate and you identify the safe people in your life and not everyone is safe, but when you find those safe people, then you have to try to be honest with them and let them know what's going on with you so they can support you and help get you out of it. My husband back in the day, he was a safe person. I could tell him what was going on and he did his best to help me exit the cycle of domestic violence my grandfather was another safe person and i gave a speech about this another lady named rose she was a 90 year old blind woman but i could tell her the truth and she was a safe person so it's very important that you have a support system of people that are there to uplift you to validate you to show you a different way And I didn't know a different way. I don't think many people that grow up in this environment, you really don't have any idea that this is not the way it has to stay. And I needed somebody else to show me that there was another way that was different than this horrible cycle that was destroying my life.
0: Right. Absolutely. Well, I thank you so much. And I know you're doing other speaking engagements. Where are you headed? You talked a little bit about that, but where are you really headed as far as your book? I guess your book, and you're going back to school to be a psychologist. I'm sure you're doing more speaking engagements and finding more groups that you can get your message out there to help more people. Is there anything else that you want to share, Sarah? Yes, absolutely. I want to finish my book and I am on the path to doing
1: it. I changed how I was writing the book about halfway through when I started to do my own healing and growth through seeing a therapist. And I started writing it in the vein of letters to my children. And it was so therapeutic. It's everything I want my children or all other children to know about themselves, their life, and if they ever find themselves in a domestic violence situation, what they need to know and always remember. I'm going to finish that one soon here.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I have to tackle, however, the respect issue with my siblings and my family, because this isn't just my story, it's also their story. So I try to be mindful of that, and I'm looking for ways to navigate that in a respectful manner. And then I also really want to go back to school. And in the meantime, I will continue speaking out against domestic violence and advocating against family violence and teaching as much as I possibly can so that more children can receive a good education.
0: Well, do you have a way for others who are listeners
1: to find you? Yes, I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. they are open accounts.
0: You can add me. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. Sarah Earhart is E-A-R-H-A-R-T.
1: My Instagram is courageous at heart.
0: Courageous at heart. I love it. I love it. <laughs> That's great. That's exactly what you are, Sarah. Courageous at heart. And you are too, Christy. We all are. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Be Seen, Beloved podcast. For more inspiring conversations, please share with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions or feedback, you can reach me directly at beseenbelovedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.